So um, the last nine months of my life has been consumed with helping those in need and facilitating opportunities for people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Back in March, at the start of COVID, God whispered to my heart to start a community Facebook group called Helping Hands for those people that were affected by COVID, uh, the elderly, the people that had compromised immune systems, and then just people that were just scared to get out of their house. And it was, you know, help with grocery deliveries, picking up uh, pharmacy stuff, that kind of thing. And uh, the Facebook group turned into so much more than just meeting the needs um, impacted by COVID. This group has turned into a platform to reach the marginalized, the widows, the poor, people battling health conditions or broken or abusive relationships, the isolated, those going through financial hardships, supporting a mom that sh so she's able to keep her baby, and helping women get out of the sex industry. God has used this group to allow us to pray for the sick, to release hope to the hopeless, to restore his children to a right relationship with him, and for people's stories to be redeemed, and for community to come together and to support those on the front lines. And I'm just going to um, squirrel here for a minute. And the part of stories being redeemed, I just have to give a shout out to my girl, Natil. And she is my right wing girl. I could not have done what Helping Hands has done is without her and the support of the community. And um, I was just, I was processing a little bit my message with my Bible study group on Thursday. We were on Zoom. And um, I was saying that, and this might come off bad, but I'm, I'm real, so you're going to get it. <laughs> um, helping Hands has not changed my life. It really hasn't. But um, for me, watching Natil's story be redeemed over and over again, um, hopefully one day Natil will get to share her whole testimony, but um, her, where she once lived a life of addiction, and now she's ministering to people in lifestyles of addiction, speaking hope and truth to them, and just, I mean, she just tells me story after story, and I'm like, what, you? And so for me, I mean, that's, I would do this all over again if it was just for that, Natil, and so I'm so, so proud of you, friend, for real, like, God has used you in so many ways, and it's just been incredible to see you impact our community in the way that you do. It's okay, back to my message. So the question this morning is, and I really would like you guys to write this down because I'm going to talk about this question, but it really does require some self-reflection, and it's kind of hard to do that during a church service. So the question is, what prevents us from living in community with other believers and living a life of generosity? I'll say it one more time. What prevents us from living in community with other believers and living a life of generosity? So when I was uh, contemplating and just pondering this question, God led me to the book of Acts with the early church. And God also highlighted to me, I, so I kept thinking, I'm like, this part has just always been really natural for me. Um, I grew up in a home where that was just a normal part of our life. And then as a teenager, um, that's just something that was always on my heart. And I realized that was part of the Holy Spirit. I came to know Jesus when I was nine. But it was really modeled well in my home, being in community and being um, serving others. And so um, that's a generational blessing that I am living in. It started, um, I don't know how far back, but my great-grandparents lived that way, my grandparents lived that way, and my parents lived that way. And now that's a big part of my family's life. So this morning's title is called The Way, and I was reading like an introduction to the book of Acts, and um, it says in the book of Acts that the word church is used 23 different times, but Luke, he's the author of the book of Acts, he also describes the church as the way, which is a community. And when I read that, like something in my spirit just jumped, and I was like, oh, like that needs to be the title of my message. So it is the way. I believe that the book of Acts is a template for how we are to live our lives in community and serving others. So the book of Acts, the church um, really takes off in Antioch. It's when uh, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit pours out, right? So 120 people are in the upper room and they're waiting, not sure what's going to happen. And the Holy Spirit comes down on them and revival breaks out. 
don't quote me on this, but I want to say that in just a short amount of time, the church grew to like over 100,000 people. Can you imagine that? Like you're up in this little room. I know there was other believers too, but just like that impact and just the momentum and figuring out life and community and, you know, discipleship. I'm sure it was a little messy as they were, you know, getting things figured out, but also just so powerful to see that many people uh, come to know Jesus. So also in this time, uh, when people were born, your religion was kind of established for you. It depended on your tribe or your race, and you didn't have a choice in what you were going to believe in. But Christianity was different, right? It tells us that when we accept Jesus into our heart, we become a new creation. We are given a new identity. And that was just such a foreign thought to them, that they could have a choice. They could choose, and that the things that identified them you know, their tribe, their race, their religion, that all became secondary because they got a new identity. Galatians 3, 26 through 29 says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And so I have uh, a testimony from Helping Hands, and it's about uh, this young mom. She actually just reached out this week, and um, because of COVID, her job, um, she's not working right now, and she is in need in food. And um, just Natil and I, we've experienced all sorts of people, some people that want things from us all the time. You know, there's just a whole plethora of experiences, but one thing that really impacted us was she didn't want a handout. She just was saying, can you please just find somebody to go to the food shelf and pick up the food? I don't have a vehicle right now, and can you just drop it off? She's like, that's all I'm asking, and we're like, absolutely. So we just like to get to know people, so Natil and her great PI skills Um, did a little digging and just um, saw that this woman actually works in the adult entertainment industry. And so we just started praying that she would see her true identity, that she would see her real worth, that it wasn't in that, but it was found in God, and that she would decide to pick a different job. And um, Natila reached out to Tasha, and Tasha was able to pick up the food and drop it off to her. And then um, she had a little girl, and so we wanted to just bless her. We wanted her to experience just the love of God, just to lavish upon her. And so we were able to buy um, some gifts for her little girl. And I know when Tasha dropped off the food too, she gave her a priceless journey book. And if you're not familiar with that, it's stories of women getting out of really hard situations when they encounter Jesus. It's it's an incredible resource for people. And so um, I believe, did you get to pray for her too, Natil? Yeah, so, so Natil dropped the toys off. And then When Natil was there, um, the gal just on her own said, I'm starting a new job on Monday. I decided that dancing is no longer the right profession for me. And so we're so excited. We didn't expect God to answer our prayers that quickly, O ye of little faith. But we're believing that it's just the start of her coming into a relationship with Jesus. And I don't know if she read the book. I don't know. We don't know that part. And so I hope that we get to continue to build a relationship with her and, um, you know, one day that she would say yes to Jesus. And so these verses stood out to me. It's 1 Peter 2, 9, and it says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And then 1 Corinthians 6.30, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. We believe that there's no coincidences in the kingdom of God. And like I said, we're just believing that um, this young woman will come to know Jesus and discover her true identity. So the other part of the early church is that they were multiracial and they experienced unity across ethnic boundaries, which was uncommon in that day. In Acts 13, the description of their leadership was one example, 
and I'm probably going to butcher some of these names so you can just correct me. <laughs> Among the prophets and the teachers of the church of Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. How'd I do? Pretty good? Okay. <laughs> so that's found in Acts 13. Tim Keller writes, Ephesians 2 is a testimony to the importance of racial reconciliation as a fruit of the gospel among Christians. I'm going to say that again. Ephesians 2 is a testimony to the importance of racial reconciliation as a fruit of the gospel among Christians. So it's because we're in relationship. It's, it's from the overflow that we're able to be reconciled to each other. Ephesians 2, 14, 17 says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his body on the Christ, cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jew and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. And so that's a good word. <laughs> um, I'm sure you're all familiar with what took place back in May when George Floyd died. And there's just been now a magnifying glass on racial equality. And I think it's important for us to really examine our own hearts and to make sure that, um, that we don't have any crooked path, that we're seeing people through the lens of love. And I love that we are all created in God's image. Like, we're all different on purpose. He made people of different colors because it reflects who he is. And so I love that we can embrace that. Uh, for a long time, I've been praying, like, God, I want friends of every ethnicity. And so just um, doing life with people and then also just my job at Praise Live, we have, we're building relationships with people in Africa. And it's just so cool to be on Zoom calls with African people. I mean, who would have ever thought that? And so I just, I love the body of Christ. I love how we're all so different. And I think the other part with that um, is to be able to sit with people in their pain, to be able to validate what they've gone through without being able, without making an excuse for maybe what happened, but just to be able to sit with them. And that's really uncomfortable, or can be if maybe you have another. It's taken me time, because I'm a fixer. I want to fix everything. <laughs> but that's not what people need. And I know people of different races have experienced really hard stuff. And we need to be able to sit with them in that and show love to them and not give them a solution unless they want us to give them a solution. And so there's also the forgiveness piece to that as well. Maybe you've been wronged by somebody or maybe you've wronged somebody you know, that's a huge part of it as well as forgiveness. So also with this topic of racial reconciliation, uh, this summer I started a weekly Zoom meeting just to talk about uh, this conversation. I reached out to a local pastor, and he and I uh, just um, facilitated that, and we just had such great conversations, and there was people of different ethnicities there, and I, the heart was I really wanted to just understand people's experiences. You know, we live in... Little old Alexandria, it's a primarily white community, but we do have people of different ethnic backgrounds. And it hasn't always been the most pleasant experience for them living here, and it's, so how can we do better? How can we help people to feel embraced just because they're not white like we are? So that was a really awesome experience, and it also has led to opportunities to help people through um, the Helping Hands group. So one story that um, I was thinking about is this girl, uh, her name's Lucy, and Natil saw her three times in a 24-hour period. And I remember her calling me, like, I saw this girl again. So the third time she saw her, they were at a gas station, and Natil is very bold, if you don't know her. And so she just gets out of her car 
and just, you know, shares, like, I've seen you, and I just really want to bless you, and can I pray for you? So she gave her uh, Eldon's grocery gift card, and it turns out that Lucy was um, getting ready for surgery, and uh, Natil prayed for her, and um, her and her mom, her mom was with her too, and they just, you know, I think they started crying even, and they just felt so loved and seen. And I remember Natil said that she didn't even realize that Lucy was a different ethnic background because she was so compelled by the love of God. She said it wasn't until the next day when she looked at the selfie that they took, she's like, oh, she looks different than me. And I just love that, like to be so compelled by love that you just see like a child of God in front of you. And so we actually were able to help bring Lucy to her surgery and then um, we also were able to provide Rainbow Rider gift cards so she could go to and from therapy. Her mom was also, she fell, so Helping Hands was able to provide medical equipment. And so now we've formed this relationship with her. And Lucy's just an awesome gal. And I'm so thankful for your boldness so that we were able to get to know her. Uh, the early church was famous for its hospitality to the poor and suffering. Uh, in those times, you were expected to care for people in your family or also in your tribe, but it was really uncommon to kind of step out of that, uh, those boundaries. And so the story of the Good Samaritan, I mean, that was unprecedented at that time for them to go and help somebody of a different ethnic group. So Luke 10, 25 through 37 talks about this story. So there's a religious scholar, and he's trying to get Jesus, kind of trying to trip him up. And he asks the question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answers, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied with the story, and so I think you guys are probably pretty familiar with this story, but a priest comes along, so, sorry, a man, a Jewish man was traveling, and he gets attacked by bandits, and they take everything from him, right? And then a priest comes along and just walks by him and crosses the road, and then a temple assistant walked over and looked at him and then passed to the other side of the road as well. And then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put him on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. So the compassion of Jesus moves us to help others. It's because he first loved us that we're able to love each other. Love is a choice, and it's also an action. The early church was compelled to love, to share the gospel message, and to serve one another through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The commitment to Jesus was seen in all expressions of their lifestyle. And so I love... That's one thing I love about our church is that Jeff and Natasha really cultivate like serving others, that evangelistic piece, getting into the community, getting outside the four walls. God never meant Christians to stay here. This is just such a tiny piece of our Christian walk, but it's to go and to do. And so you mentioned um, next Saturday we have Love Our City. We're doing the Christmas thing. And this year we have 25 families, and then we also... Uh, this Easter, we did Easter baskets. We've done, uh, the summer, we did our outreach in September. Uh, we were going back to those low-income housing places, building relationships, serving them, feeding them food, praying for people. I know one girl re uh, repeated the salvation prayer back in September. And so we're just really trying to be the hands and feet in Jesus. And I, I really love and appreci appreciate that about you and Tasha. You guys lead that well here. I love the way Dr. Brian Simmons describes the purpose of the book of Acts. He writes, Luke's point is that the church of Jesus is a distinct community who are on a love mission by the one 
who loves the world with fiery passion. For Luke, the church isn't merely a gathering or assembly. She's a movement, a spirit-filled movement led by leaders who articulate and apply the power of the gospel. And like most movements, the church faces opposition and persecution, yet triumphs and expands through the Holy Spirit's power. Isn't that so good? Like, can we please be a love mission for Jesus with fiery passion? That's my prayer. So in Acts, I'm not going to read these scriptures, but Tammy, you can put them on the screen. It's Acts 2, 42 through 47, and 4, 32 through 37. And it says, we see the church rising up to provide and care for each other. Not only do they pool their resources together to care for the poor in their city, they send food along to other cities in need. They are gospel peace people who gave out of the abundance and of grace and mercy they've received from their heavenly father. They gave from hearts of generosity. There was no needy people among them. Yeah, no needy people among them. Can you imagine that? It's incredible. Their hearts and minds were united. They worshiped together. They shared in communion, and they studied the word of God. Miraculous signs and wonders were performed by the apostles. And so I've got a couple more stories uh, from Helping Hands about serving others and giving of things to help others. And one story comes to mind is a gal wanted to just get a new refrigerator. Nothing was wrong with hers, but she just wanted an upgrade. Well, as she was thinking about that, the Holy Spirit prompted her to give the money that she would have bought for the fridge to Helping Hands to help others. And so that's an example. I know in the early church, they would sell their land to give the money to the people in need. Uh, in October, um, maybe you follow along, but there's James' story. He moves to Minnesota from California with nothing. Uh, he's here to help cultivate the relationship with his son. He needs winter clothes. He needed a job. He needed a place to stay. And this community rallied around this man. Um, local businesses downtown uh, gave him business professional clothes for free. People bought him boots and coats, hat, like all the things to stay warm. And then he was staying in this trailer that didn't have any heat, so he would have to wear tons of layers at night just to stay warm. And a gal in uh, my women's Bible, Bible study group, her family took him in and let him stay there until he was able to get an apartment. Uh, the community has paid for a few months of his apartment and paid the down payment, and he has a job. Isn't that amazing? So cool. And then um, another local family took in a teen girl for a week because home life wasn't good. The parents found out we were using drugs, and so she stayed at their house. Um, and we, we were also be able to provide a winter jacket for her. We had people come into our community um, that have been battling drug addiction and were homeless. We put them up in hotel rooms, and we got uh, Greyhound bus tickets to get them back where they were going. And so it's just so cool to see People be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so God wants to use you, each and every one of you. And I think sometimes it can just feel so overwhelming because there is so many needs and you're just not sure where to start. And God, he, he might not ask you to start a helping hands group, but he's probably asking you to reach out to your neighbors, to just be available, be willing to be inconvenienced so that you can help others. So the early church was also a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. Christians back then and today were persecuted, excluded, criticized, imprisoned, attacked, and killed, all the while preaching on forgiveness. Just going to pause there. <laughs> That's really hard, right? When somebody is being mean to you or somebody is wanting to kill you, like, you want to retaliate, right? But that's not what they practice. They practice forgiveness. And they could have only done that by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Our flesh gets in the way big time. But because they were walking with the Lord, they had the grace to do that, to extend forgiveness to them. They also, um, vengeance, I guess I just talked about that. Vengeance was really important. 
And um, so they just turned the other cheek and uh, just kept doing what, they stayed on mission. They did what God told them to do. Um, I think Paul, Saul to Paul, he's a really great example. I mean, if you think of Paul's life before he came to know Jesus, like what was he doing? He was murdering Christians, right? And now all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, I love Jesus. Come be in my inner circle. Odds are he probably killed like somebody's loved one in that community. But then now, like, I mean, ugh, it's just hard to even fathom that. Again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome a lot of things and we can live in unity. And I think of, you know, even people in prison. I kind of, that's kind of that same situation. Like somebody maybe that murdered somebody, the power of the Holy Spirit that takes to forgive that person, the family member, right? Um, yeah, I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. So um, when you put yourself out there, there's a lot of great opportunities for people to misunderstand you. That's fun. No, it's not. <laughs> um, just from the group, we like people get mad at us because we don't approve their post or because we say, no, we've already helped you five times. Let's make a plan. Let's, you know, there's obviously there's underlining thing going on here. Um, people don't always agree with our Christian stance. Well, I'm sorry. God told me to start this, so that is what motivates me. That's everything that I, all the decisions I make is based on who he is and who he's called me to be. So that's been great opportunities to practice forgiveness. <laughs> so, and the church... Um, so we talked about the, the church in Antioch. It took on a new identity found in Jesus, that they were multiracial and they lived in unity with different races, and they were famous for practicing hospitality to the poor, and they practiced forgiveness. So now we're going to go back to my original question. What prevents us from living in community with other believers and living a life of generosity? So I found these statistics very startling. It says, according to North our nonprofit source, only 5% of church members give regularly. And nationwide, Christians today give 2.5% of their income. For comparison, during the Great Depression, they gave 3.3%. Isn't that crazy? You think of how, much, how little they had back then to just the life of abundance that we live in. And the church is only giving 2.5%. So I think... That's like, heart check. <laughs> you know, am I, am I giving what I'm supposed to be giving? Am I truly trusting God with the resources that he's given to me? You know, it's taught in the Bible. In the Old Testament, you give your first fruits of your crops to the Lord, which today we talk about it's 10% or more of what you give to the Lord. And that can feel really scary, especially if you're living on a really tight budget. I get it. It is. It's scary. It's like, God, how are you going to meet my needs? How am I going to have money in the checkbook to buy groceries? Or maybe you're on the other side of it, and you have a lot of money, and it's like, I don't need you, God. I got everything I need. You're self-sufficient. But I would challenge you that you, you aren't going to do what God's truly called you to do if you stick with that attitude, because God has even more for you. He wants you to be a blessing, um, even more than you can imagine. Like I think of just people like billionaires, you know, self-made billionaires that maybe did it on their own. Like think of if they've partnered with Jesus, how they could impact the world, you know? So Jesus in the early church, they lived lives of generosity. They believed that God was their provider. They understood that everything that was given to them belonged to God. Do you guys believe that? That everything that was given to us belongs to God? And they live from the overflow of the Holy Spirit. That's where the joy comes from in giving, right? So we spend time with him. He's pouring in, and then we get to pour out. And it's okay if you don't have a lot of money right now. There's other things that God wants to use you to do. Maybe it's just calling somebody up. Maybe it's giving somebody a hug or, you know, sending a message. It doesn't all have to be about money. It's about just our heart's posture and making ourselves available. 
Uh, one part of Helping Hands that has just completely blown me away is um, the story, well, the story of Elijah and the widow, that replenishment. If you're not familiar, um, it's a story of a widow. She literally had nothing left but a jar of oil. She collects a bunch of jars from the community, and as she pours the oil out, it just keeps pouring and pouring and pouring, and so she's able to keep her home and her children, and we've seen that with Helping Hands. You know, when I first started the group, um, I didn't have, I didn't know what to expect, but as things kind of grew and people were giving, I'm like, oh, I bet when the money runs out, then God will want us to be done with this group. The money has never run out. As we give, oh, and Natil can back me up on this, seriously, as we are giving, somebody's saying, hey, I'd love to give to what you guys are doing. And with Christmas this year, every time I have somebody say, hey, we'd love to adopt a family this Christmas, somebody's messaging Natil or I saying, hey, we're really struggling this Christmas. Could you help us? It happened this morning. A woman messaged me saying I'd love to adopt a family. At the same time, she received a message from a family. Seriously, people, when you partner with Jesus, it's so fun because he just keeps showing up over and over and over again. And I just, his timing is so perfect. So as you get to like be a part of things like that, your trust in him and your faith in him just keeps growing and growing and growing. And then it's like, there's nothing God can't do, right? Like all the little boxes that we put them in, well, God could never do that. He's like, Poosh. really? You don't think I can do that? You know, it's just, it's so fun. Um, so two stories that I want to share that made me cry, and I will do my best not to cry. Um, it's Eric's story, and then we're using the name Brad just for this man's, um, just pro not protection, but just to keep his story, his story. So Eric and Brad. So Eric's story is he reached out to Natil and I probably two weeks ago, and he was just diagnosed with a terminal cancer diagnosis. He's given a couple years to live. Uh, he went through the Minnesota Teen Challenge. He's overcome addiction, and then he's just had a really, some big hardships in his life. He's married and has children as well. And uh, I think it was last, the week of Thanksgiving, Eric made a post on the page, and that's when the waterworks started. And I wanted to just share part of what he wrote with you guys. He said, the realization that I can ask for help and that people who have seen my struggles want to help me have been so confusing and has filled me with a love so transformative of my old, shriveled up, nasty, grasping, and degenerate spirit that I look back and wonder that a grown man's attitude and belief can be reshaped so thoroughly even in his 50s. All praise to him who fills my cup and gives me a chance to live. He led me to this group before the tough stuff came. I lurked on the page for a long time, just watching and trying to understand how could God bring his people such joy in helping others. I've been and done so, so, so much. Of the ugliness of the world, it's only been the past four or so years that his light has illuminated my life. Finally, after a lifetime of denial, I looked upon him and his love lifted me. Addiction, fear, hurt, hate, against his love, none can stand. Isn't that so good? So I, yesterday I went back to see when Eric joined our group. And he joined our group six months ago. And it wasn't until last week that he reached out to us. Think of how many other people are watching. Watching God be faithful time and time again. So as, as Eric was watching what was taking place in our community, he was seeing the results of giving with a cheerful heart. And that his life matters. He is worthy. He was paid with a price, and he is loved by our Father in heaven. That compelled him to reach out for help, all the while being willing and able to help others. And so this next story, Eric's story and his story end up colliding. So the next story is about Brad. And Brad's wife reached out on behalf of him. Brad's been battling mental health issues for many years, and he's at the point in his life where it's been debilitating. Um, he used to go grocery shopping at Aldi every day, where Natil got to know this couple. 
And then the last couple years, his uh, anxiety and depression has been so bad that he's been staying home. But when he would go to Aldi, he would only spend a certain amount of money. So the change that he would pay or that he would receive, he put in a jar. So he had this little change jar. So his wife reached out asking if a Christian man would want to befriend him, you know, call him up. And uh, just to get to know him, to build a relationship, because he's really isolated and, um, like, just his depression has consumed him. His wife writes, I'm hoping you know a Christian man that would be interested in befriending my husband. His depression has basically paralyzed him. He's desperately lonely as his depression deepened. All his friends stopped talking to him. Brad is musically gifted, but has lost all interest. He He used to be able to talk to anyone about anything but now can only focus on his depression. He just needs a friend. How many people right now just need a friend? That comes in community, right? Friendships come in community. And so Natil posted uh, what the wife asked, and the response was just overwhelming. Paul, I know you reached out and are going to make connection with him, and also Eric did. Um, the man that I just told you about. And Brad was so overcome by just that people would care enough to want to spend time with him. And um, he was so moved by compassion that he gave us all of the money to his name, to Helping Hands. All of that money, that change that he's been collecting from the past four years, he gave it to us because he was so thankful that people would want to, you know, help him. Also, um, a a mental health worker reached out, and she said that she would give him um, free counseling through telemedicine so he wouldn't have to leave his home. So we're hoping that he'll take her up on her offer as well. So after um, that response, uh, his wife wrote us again and said, Brad is overwhelmed that people want to talk to him. He has heard no, can't, won't help. For so long, he needs to process the good news. He was so touched, he cried when I told him about Eric calling and leaving the message. Brad hopes to be able to return his call soon. So isn't that so cool? Just that connection, being the church. And Eric, he's battled mental health issues as well. And so he said he felt prompted by the Holy Spirit. He said, I don't know how much time I have left on this earth, but I know that God wants to use me and I can be a friend to somebody. So we have a man with terminal cancer. And then we have somebody with health, mental health stuff going on right now. God wants to use you guys. We can't ignore that tap on our shoulder, the tugging, right? Or maybe you're at a store and you keep seeing the same person, like I use the term highlighted, right? What if you just said, hi, how are you doing, right? Just to start up a conversation, God will guide you. I promise you. I know it's scary, but I'll tell you this. I used to bring my daycare kids uh, to Target, and they're rock stars at, like, greeting people. So we would make little, um, essentially, like, little love notes, and then we called it Operation Joy. I'd throw them all. No, I didn't throw them. I I promise. We would get in the cart. I buckled most of them up, (laughs) and then I would say, okay, guys, Let's partner with Holy Spirit, and whoever God, like, highlights to you, you can go give them this little note. And it was notes about identity, like, you are loved, you are chosen, you are worthy. And you would not believe the joy that would be brought to Target. Like, it would be buzzing, honestly. Workers would get them, people would get them, and the kids did it because they don't have, like, their selves don't get in the way, right? They see themselves as child, children of God. They don't have the... They're not scared of what other people think is the bottom line, right? How often do we get in our own way for God using us? So cultivating a lifestyle of generosity needs to be developed. It's not a natural thing for us, right? But when we come into relationship with Jesus, he empowers us, he equips us, and he'll give us opportunities to practice. And I used to struggle with my money. I'm going to just be honest with you. I held on to it really tight. Um, there was a time in my life when my stepdad, they, we had a grocery store and he lost it. And I saw him struggle for a year or two to find a new job. Five kids. That's, that's a big pressure for him. And um, f- 
whatever, I think I was probably a fourth grader at that time, and I didn't know I did this, but I made an agreement as a little girl that I'm responsible to take care of myself. And that went with me all the way until my late 20s. I had this mindset that there was never going to be enough. I got a job when I was 14. I remember I was working, I was selling health supplements on the side, not because we needed it or because Josh told me to, but because I was believing a lie that we were never going to have enough money. And um, one night I was, I think I was even in my vehicle, and in God's kindness, he just showed me, he's like, you're believing a lie. You think you have to take care of yourself, and you don't trust me to be your provider. And it was, I repented, you know, I confessed and I repented, and honestly, it was one of those moments in my life that it was in an instance, it was, that lie was broken off of me, and I haven't battled with that ever since, and I have seen God show up in my family's life over and over and over again, and it's living our lives from a place of rest, not striving, and that's what I was doing. I was striving because I had a poverty mindset, and so maybe that's something that you struggle with. I didn't even know I was struggling with it. It was so subconscious, and I had believed it for so many years that I needed the Holy Spirit to reveal that to me, and I'm so thankful he did because God is a God of abundance, and if we believe he is who he says he is, then we can trust him. We know that he is a good God, that he has good things for us. We know that he is faithful and he is a promise keeper, right? All right, I lost my spot here now, so. Um, Okay, so one other part too that, like fear is no longer associated in my giving. Has anybody ever felt scared? Because you think there's not gonna be enough? normal. But as we step out in faith, when God is calling us to do something, it gets easier and easier and easier to give and to live a life of generosity. So we need to believe that we're not alone in our situations, and we, can, we need to not assume that people don't want to help us. That's something that just running this Helping Hands group that's been highlighted to me. People, you know, feeling so alone and thinking, like, why would anybody want to help me? Maybe you've made poor choices, and so you're, you're walking in that shame and that condemnation. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. God is the redeemer of all things. Just because you've messed up financially or in other areas of your life doesn't mean that God doesn't want to help you. That's where we get to repent and we turn the opposite direction, and maybe it's taking the Dave Ramsey class and learning how to manage our finances, but do not partner with that lie. God is so much bigger than that. He is a loving God. Another part is we isolate emotionally. I see this with women all the time. Why aren't you in a Bible study? Well, what if people really got to know the real me? What if What if they knew how bad I really was or that I'm struggling with this sin? I could never tell anybody. That's a lie. The devil wants you to think that nobody's ever gone through what you're going through, but he's not creative, people. He tells us the same lies, and he gets us convinced that nobody would understand, and then that keeps us isolated physically and emotionally. True transformation happens in the context of relationships, which equals community. God has done so many amazing and powerful things in my life. He has set me free from so many things in the context of community. Yes, there's moments when I'm having my quiet time and God, his Holy Spirit comes and he ministers to me. But the majority of my healing has taken place in the context of of community, me bringing my authentic self, being vulnerable with other women or my husband, and then letting Holy Spirit do his thing, right? Letting women come and lay hands on me, praying for me. So if you want transformation in your life, you gotta be doing life with people. Iron sharpens iron. We're made to do life with one another. And I know this whole year with that part, stinks 
I'm an extrovert. I'm going a little crazy, if I'm being honest. I miss going to coffee shops and meeting with people. I miss having women in my basement, worshiping Jesus together, diving into the word of God and ministering. Side note, any woman here, I lead a women's Bible study, and I'd love to have you. Okay. Um, but yeah, we got to do life with people. I know I am, and then I lose my spot, so. <laughs> okay, so yes, we isolate emotionally. The war is on our, yep, said all that. Okay, so the next point. If we don't believe that our identity is found in Jesus or believe God is who he says he is, we see ourselves through the wrong lens. We believe that we are unworthy to be loved unconditionally. We believe that our mistakes are unforgivable and that we would be a burden to someone if we really let them in. We walk in shame and we build walls to self-protect. Guilty. And a lot of those walls start when you're a kid and you don't even know it. And that's where as parents, we get to equip our kids to hear the voice of God. There is no junior Holy Spirit and we can give them the tools that they need so that they don't have to go through what we go through, right? My ceiling is their floor, right? My real dad was an alcoholic. He battled addiction. That's not my testimony. He overcame it. He came to know Jesus. And I can say that none of my blood siblings, none of us battle that addiction, right? So that's... The things that the hard things you've gone through doesn't mean your kids have to go through them. But it's up to us to do the hard work, to work through our problems, to work through our issues, so that our kids can get the best version of us. So I'm sorry, guys. Okay. When we believe that we are unworthy to be loved un- unconditionally, I read that we build walls to protect ourselves. And then there are seasons of life when we are doing great and we feel self-sufficient. We think that we can do life on our own. We don't need help from people or God. If we give, we do it to make ourselves feel good. We love the euphoria rush, and that motivates us to do good things that dopamine's produced when we give, which that's not a bad thing. God designed our brains to work that way. But when that's your only motivation, is you're doing it for that rush, got to check our hearts. We do it because God tells us to do it, right? We be the hands and feet because that's part of being a Christian. And so another mindset you could have when life is going great, when helping others is, what's in it for me? How is this going to benefit me? And we can battle to fully give without strings attached or to expect something in return or I know, you know, some people, they have a hard time to give their money because they don't trust an organization, right? So sometimes people with the most money have the hardest time relying on Jesus because to them, they don't have any needs. But I'm going to challenge you on that. And I said this earlier, God wants to do exceedingly and abundantly more with your life. You can only go so far by yourself. But God wants to blow your mind with how he wants to use you and the resources that he has given to you. And so it's, it's so fun to partner with him, to give him all the things that he's given to us to be able to give back. So transformation, I talked about this, it takes place in the context of community. And so my question for you guys is, what does community look like in your life right now? Is it, do you hang out with people because you guys are living the same lifestyles? You like the same cars or, uh, you know, trips or fashion? Or is the community that you're doing life with rooted in Jesus? Are you on mission? Do you have the same vision? And when when I'm talking about community, I'm talking about this part is like your inner circle. You know, can you be your authentic self? Or do you have to pretend to be somebody you're not? I know that's a, for women especially, that's a hard thing. And if you don't have that, or maybe you're thinking, oh, yep, kind of superficial relationships right now. Start praying and asking God to bring you women or men that have the same heartbeat for Jesus. 
and I can testify to this. I started praying that prayer six years ago. I was praying for women that wanted to experience the fullness of God. And he brought me women. This is now my Bible study group. And it's been such an absolutely amazing community of women that come, we're vulnerable with each other, we support one another, we have fun together, and it's been such a gift. So I know if it's on your heart, it's on God's heart. But have you asked him yet? Have you asked him? Jesus, help me to find friends that are going in the same direction. When we find our people, we find our destiny. We want friends that say, I see this in you, and I want to help you to get there, right? We want people that we link arms with, not people that are going to be jealous. We need to celebrate with others. We need to cry when others are going through a hard thing. It's, that's like the greatest gift in my life is the relationships that I have, and I'm so thankful for them. I just, um, one more part here. So I shared earlier how just living I grew up in a home where community and service was really important. And my grandparents modeled it really well, and so did my parents. And so I asked my grandma and my mom, I said, I sent them an email saying, hey, I just would love to know, like, how, why was this important in your life? And so their response was the same. It was modeled for them. Uh, my grandpa grew up in a home that had a little bit more money and resources, and so uh, they were able to give that way, but they also gave their time. And then my grandma, her dad was a blue-collar worker, and he gave his, you know, his talents. And uh, the underlining thing was they gave what they had to other people, and they lived life in community. And so then that affected my grandpa and her life, and she wrote, we shared what we had. We were able to take in a foster boy. We participated in the Big Brother, Big Sister program. My grandpa, being a grocery store owner, would give food to the homeless that would come off the trains. So they had a store in Wadena, and their grocery store is right by the railroad tracks there. So then people would get off. But he did that because they would dumpster dive, and then they would get cut up um, from the garbage. And then also my grandparents have modeled hospitality amazingly. Uh, they do it with such ease and grace. And um, my grandma said that just came naturally for them. So I just love the way that God put those two together. They are like the epitome of team. <laughs> Teamwork's a dream work with those two. And it's been so fun uh, that they've modeled that in their lives. They're 86 years old, and they are one couple that's been so instrumental in my life in coming to know Jesus. And then my mom, Nancy, uh, she said that her mom really modeled that lifestyle of generosity. And she was always giving of things and meals and clothes. And she said that when she was in college, um, a homeless man lived in their garage for some time. And then when my grandma moved to Colorado, she brought him with and cared for him until he died. Can you believe that? <laughs> my little grandma Helen. <laughs> and so my mom said watching her mom give of herself constantly had a profound effect on her life. She found a career in teaching impoverished children and youth and um, she would bring her kids home. So my mom taught on an Indian reservation, and she just saw just heartbreaking things. She taught, I think it was like third grade, and she, I remember she brought the kids home on the weekends if the parents said she'd take one at a time just so that they could experience a more healthy family, a family that had a mom and a dad in the home, and just to see what it could look like, you know, just to give them a glimpse of hope what, you know, for their future. And I remember uh, my mom, we would adopt families at Christmas and do shopping and bringing meals to people. And so that just was just a really normal part of my upbringing. And I think of, wow, what a legacy they're leaving behind for me. And now I get to invite my kids and they get to help. And so maybe you didn't grow up that way. That's okay. You can do it with your family. You can cultivate that type of lifestyle in your own home. And it's so fun to see kids get involved uh, with giving to other people. When we have uh, people come stay at our home, I have our boys write welcome cards, and then I ask them to ask Jesus, what do you love about this person? And so we make a little tray pretty with water and flowers, and, and then they have those little note cards. You know, they can do that. They hear the voice of God. Or it's making meals for somebody, you know, helping, let them help you cook in the kitchen. Or if you're a busy working mom like I am, I have my go-to Eldon's meal that I get. It's rotisserie chicken, salad, bread, fruit, 
and a dessert. And they get to come with me because I don't have time to always cook a meal. But that's okay, right? They're still seeing that we're bringing a meal to somebody. And that's important. It doesn't matter what it looks like. We're all in different places in our life. So don't let that be a hindrance to you. Maybe I'm a bad cook or blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Go to Eldon's. Pick up a pizza. It doesn't matter. It's the thought that counts, right? I just want to break off that comparison piece because that can hold us back so much from doing what God's calling us to do. So I came across this quote yesterday, and I thought it was so applicable for my message today. And it says, what if we ended 2020 on a positive note? 2,000 years ago, people found hope in a star. This Christmas, let's help people find hope in a text or a shout-out on social media or a not-so-random act of Christ-like kindness. Let's get together, even if it means something completely different than what we're used to. Let's end 2020 by doing the things that Jesus himself did. Let's feed the hungry, visit the lonely, and help those in need. Let's take him at his word when he says that we are the light of the world. Even in one of the darkest years of our lives, his hope still shines bright. Isn't that good? Yeah, so this is, this is the part that, this is your homework. So I want you guys to go home and to ask Jesus, what is preventing you today of living a life of generosity and doing life in community with people. Maybe some things that I've shared today, your heart, like you're, you're feeling your heart, that tugging on your heart, and you know that Holy Spirit is talking to you. Reach out to a friend. Be real. If you have a spouse, talk to your spouse. Sometimes God heals us in an instant from things, and other times it requires us to do counseling. You know, I've done all of it, and I... It's all part of our healing journey. There's layers. But I know he wants to use you right where he has you planted. It's purposeful. There's people in your lives that I can never impact because you're unique and you're different. And people, they may not like me. I might be too much for them. But maybe they need somebody that's a little bit more mellow, right? We're all different, and that's beautiful. That's the body of Christ. And if you're not in community, why? Why aren't you doing life with people? Why are you isolating? Maybe you don't even realize you're isolating. This year has been hard. It's been really hard. And sometimes when we're not checking in with our heart, we start to pull back, and we're even we're unaware of it. So maybe the question would be like, when was the last time I hung out with somebody? If you're not sure. Holy Spirit will show you. So I'm just going to pray. And if you are wanting prayer, I would love to pray for you this morning. I've pretty much, I'm not going to, well, in my family, we've experienced like generation stuff, okay? Grandparents, parents, siblings, like, Nothing surprises me. Probably anything horrible that you've experienced, I could say, oh, yeah, me too. My uncle, my grandpa. <laughs> okay? So don't let your past hold you back from walking into your destiny. Okay? People here, we want to pray for you. We want to we help you so that you can become all who God created you to be. So let's be a community who are on a love mission by the one who loves the world with fiery passion. So, Father God, we thank you for this time. God, I just pray that you would use us. God, that we would obey when we feel that tapping on our shoulder. or We hear that still small voice or we keep seeing the same person over and over again. God, we are your vessels. And God, I just pray right now that... Um, for people that don't trust you to be their provider. God, that they would encounter your goodness, your faithfulness, that they would see that there's so much more to their lives than holding on uh, to what you've given to them. So God, I just pray that uh, if people need healing in that area, that they would be brave and that they would um, take those steps. And God, if people are struggling uh, to do life in community with others, 
God, I pray that they would see themselves as sons and daughters to the King of King. God, that they would own their royal identity found in Jesus. God, that they would embrace the way that you created them to be. All of their little flaws is what makes them unique and different, and that they actually have something to bring to the table, that people can learn from them, and that they're valuable, and that they are worth getting to know. So God, I just, I break off that spirit of shame today. God, I break off fear in Jesus' name. God, I break off that poverty mindset today in Jesus' name. God, let us be people that live from the overflow of your Holy Spirit. God, that we would be known as the most generous people on earth that Christians would, God. And God, I just pray that this city would be transformed by the church. God, that revival would sweep through Alexandria and beyond. That people would have love encounters with you and that their lives would never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.